Hello everybody. This sermon is the first in our new series entitled Finding God in Unexpected Places. We're looking at the opening chapters to Matthew's Gospel and today we're looking at Matthew 1, 1 to 17. And here we find God in repeated failure. I read again this week the letter that was placed into a bottle and hidden under the pulpit at our church in Bemore. It was found in 1992, but written on the 23rd of September 1869. It recorded all the work that had taken place back then to restore the church and open it for worship. It was full of passionate faith and sincere hope for the future church in Bemore. It included the prayer that the preaching of the gospel in the church would go on to bring many to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a very inspiring letter, but it got me thinking. I wonder what those men and women of 1869 would have thought if they had been told that in the year 2020, the people of Bemore Baptist Church would be meeting in the village hall across the road while their church building lay empty, quiet and in the dark with the lights off. I don't suppose they could have imagined that this would ever need to be the case. This was well outside their expectations. The events of 2020 were unexpected by all of us. We are doing things now that we would not even have dreamed of doing in only February this year. Masked in church, no singing, no entering people's houses, queues to the co-op, Zoom meetings, staying two metres from loved ones, crossing the road from people when they just cough a little bit. Everything has been so sudden. Of course, the more serious side to the rather unpleasant surprises of this year is that none of us had plans in place to deal with them. We did not set savings aside. We did not prepare our businesses. We did not say those good things to loved ones when we had the chance. Things that are unexpected can be frightening and disturbing and by catching us off guard have long-lasting consequences. Yet if we are honest about this, we know we are not hopeless. As a church, we have still seen God at work throughout this year. We've had answered prayers shared at our midweek Zoom meetings. We've managed to make new contacts through our website and daily emails. We've been given grants to finish off our building projects. And most gloriously of all, we saw four young people come to faith on an online alpha course that quite simply would not have happened without the lockdown. Everything has been so unexpected this year, and yet one thing has remained the same. God has been with us, and God has been at work. The story of Christmas, which we are going to start piecing together this week, is the story of God turning up in an unexpected place. With Jesus, God is not just confined to heaven, but present on earth. He did not arrive with the elite in Athens or Rome, but out in the Middle East. Even in Israel, he did not come to Jerusalem, but grew up in the remote north where nothing good was ever supposed to come from. Jesus grew in a virgin's womb and was delivered not in a palace, but in an animal feeding trough. 
Our God loves doing the unexpected. He loves claiming unexpected places as his own. Therefore, the message of these next few weeks is that we should look for God to be present and at work in every aspect of our lives, especially the difficult ones. Our series is entitled Finding God in Unexpected Places, and we're going to be looking at the opening chapters of Matthew. When you open Matthew's Gospel and start to read, the very first thing we are told is that this book is going to be about God. It is God that Matthew wants to help us find. The genealogy or family tree that Matthew begins with acts like a fanfare, a drum roll, grabbing our attention before the announcement of the most important news. In his opening 17 verses that we read together, Matthew is introducing us to the most important of figures. He begins like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This book is about Jesus, the man whose name itself means the Lord saves. This book is about the Messiah or the anointed one of God. This Jesus is the light and hope of all Israel, the promised one of old whose house and reign will last forever. This book is about the son of David, the one promise from David's line who would defeat Israel's enemies and re-establish God's rightful throne on earth. This book is about the son of Abraham, the one who would fulfil God's promise to bring his blessing to all the nations. By rescuing Israel and fulfilling their hopes, he will simultaneously save and renew the entire world. We need to understand that rather than just being a boring list of names, this whole genealogy is constructed to show who Jesus is. He is the true king, the true Jewish king, the true king of all the world. He is God's king. Indeed, he is God, born of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. Be in no doubt, Matthew is saying, I have put this eyewitness account together because I want you to find God. No more, no less. This is about God and how he has turned up in the most unexpected way and in the most unexpected place for your benefit. But just where is that place that God has turned up in? Where do we find him in these opening verses? Well, Shockingly, we find him mixed up in the depths of repeated human failure. Let me explain what I mean by that. In verse 16, we find Jesus' name appear at the end of a list of 42 names. He is the culmination of a very human family. A family that contains some heroes like Ruth and Hezekiah and Mary, But more often than not, it is a family that is utterly dysfunctional, at times even sordid and downright corrupt. In short, we find Jesus, the Son of God, appearing amongst a list of repeated failures. Have a listen to this and you will see what I mean. Abraham 
slept with his maidservant because he could not wait for a child any longer, and then abandoned her and her child in the wilderness. Isaac lied about the identity of his wife, claiming she was his sister. Jacob stole from his brother, deceived his father, and had children with four different women. Judah treated his daughter-in-law abysmally and then got her pregnant when he thought she was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute and a Canaanite one at that. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, worshipped false gods and split Israel apart. Rehoboam was infatuated with revenge and set up idols in the land. Abijah engaged in civil war for his own ends. Asa started an unholy alliance with a foreign king. Jehoram introduced the worship of Baal into the country and did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uzziah's pride led to his downfall when he unlawfully burst into the holy place of the temple. Ahaz sacrificed his own sons in fire. Manasseh worshipped the stars and put a carved image in the temple. Amon did what his father Manasseh did, but unlike his father refused ever to repent. Josiah ignored God's command and died in battle as a consequence. And eventually, through Jeconiah and his brothers, things got so bad, God had to send the rampaging Babylonians into Israel and his people into exile in Babylon in order to purge the land of its apostasy. After that, we know very little about the names mentioned between the exile and Jesus, because the land was so spiritually dead at the time, there was nothing of note. Nothing that is apart from Jeconiah, who was so bad, Jeremiah spoke a blistering prophecy against him, declaring that none of his offspring would prosper, none would sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. A terrible curse that came absolutely true. Remember, Jesus himself was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he's not technically descended directly from Jeconiah. Hopefully we're starting to get the point. Jesus appears at the end of this line of repeated human failures. When we look at the genealogy that begins Matthew's gospel, many people point out the names of the four women in it before Mary. Indeed, that's what our current morning sermon series is about. All four of these women were probably Canaanites or non-Jews. And shockingly to Matthew's original readers, they all set an example of faith when the men in the land were up to no good. Tamar appears when Judah was at his most misogynistic. Rahab appears when Israel being disobedient in the wilderness. Ruth appears when the judges of Israel were up to all sorts of immorality. Bathsheba appears when David was at his most lustful. It's as if God preserves his royal line by women and foreigners when his own people Israel are being utterly unfaithful and not up to the task. But do check out our morning sermons online if you want to know more about that. This list of 42 names, barring the odd glowing exception, really is a catalogue of woe. Jesus has a whole nation of skeletons in his closet. He has more embarrassing uncles than you could care to imagine. 
It really should surprise us that God turns up through people like this. It is most unexpected for the one who is perfectly holy. So holy he is at times referred to in terms of a purifying fire. What are we to learn from finding God here? Well, I think there are three things and they all point to the very heart of the gospel message. They are the very reason we are gearing up to celebrate Christmas at all. The first thing we learn from this roll call of human failure is rather depressing, but oh so important to understand and accept. Sin is pervasive in the human race. Sin affects every single one of us. The Bible says there is not one of us who has not fallen down and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all acted badly, said the wrong things, done the wrong things, thought the wrong things and not done the good things we should have done. It's telling that even this list of Jewish heroes, those who many look up to, when you examine their lives closely, they have all failed repeatedly. The same is true for our heroes and role models today. No one is unaffected by the virus of sin. And sin certainly has its consequences. From just the brief mention of the names and stories I have just given, we can see that sin led to destruction, violence, hurt, hopelessness and exile from all that is good. Again, the Bible is absolutely clear. In the end, sin leads to death. It chokes out the life that God wants to give. This is serious and it is solemn. But when recognised and owned up to, we can begin to see that the gospel is the story of God coming into the world to deal with it. Jesus was not surprised by the corruption he found in his family tree and the land around him. That was precisely the reason he came. To offer forgiveness, to save us from our repeated failure and to enable life to return once more. The second thing we learn from this list of repeated human failure is that opposed to our sin, God's faithfulness is impeccable. This series is about God turning up in unexpected places and turning up amongst all of our sin is unexpected for such a holy God. But on the other hand, it isn't. God promised he would do this from centuries ago. This list of names highlights again the faithfulness of God to his word. His promises are perfect. He will never let them go. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise to Abraham to bless the world from his family. 3,000 years ago, God promised David a king would come from his line who would reign forever. Matthew's opening verses show us that God kept his word in both regards. Absolutely, Jesus was the fulfilment. What this list of names tells us then is that God is above and beyond us. No human error or deviance can stop his purposes or plans coming to be. God's providence cannot be denied or outmaneuvered. He is always present and always working to achieve his ends. Right in the midst of abject human failure, God can transform situations 
for his good. He did this to enable Jesus' birth, and he did it supremely to turn the sin of the crucifixion into the opportunity for resurrection and a defeat of sin, evil and death once and for all. God's supreme faithfulness means he is simply unstoppable. And that is very good news indeed in a time of worldwide crisis. The third thing we learn then from the Lord Jesus turning up at the end of a list of human failure is that the gospel is very good news. Matthew's genealogy emphasises the all-embracing love of God. There is nobody who doesn't need it and there is nothing that can stand in its way. With the birth of Jesus, the salvation of God arrived for all people, regardless of their ethnicity, gender or social status. God's faithfulness does not excuse our sin or make it acceptable. Rather, we should stand in awe of the God who sovereignly works through everyday people. If we confess our sin, turn away from it and turn to Jesus, we also will experience God's love. What is more, we will then start to discover the plan and purpose he has for our lives. This genealogy tells us that God can use anyone, however marginalised or despised they once were, to further his purposes. Everyone can find a role within his people. This is very good news indeed. To finish, let me just say this. I don't know how you reflect on your time in lockdown. I know that I've had good days and bad days. Days when I've been strong, faithful and compassionate like Rahab, Ruth and Hezekiah. But other days when I've let myself down. I might not have taken another man's wife like David did, but I've snapped at Emily and in my frustration made her life more difficult. There have been days when I've doubted and turned to my own path. I'm sure the same is true for all of us. The arrival of Jesus into the world tells me that God can be found in all places and situations of my life. Unexpectedly, he is even present in our repeated failures as human beings. They don't stop him loving us. They're what he came to save us from. I encourage us all to turn to him tonight, for he is there, unexpectedly, waiting to receive us.